Uh, I don't know what uh, part of the Bible you would do. Uh, we're given free range, but uh, this this moment in Mark's Gospel, Mark five, uh, is very dear to my heart, and uh, it's a section that we often skip over. But I'm going to read to you Mark five, verse twenty-four. It's on page nine hundred and twenty-four. Then I'll pray, then we'll get into it. So Mark chapter 5, verse 24. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came behind him. In the crowd and touched his robe. For she said, If I could just touch his robe, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was cured of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around to the crowd and said, Who touched my robes? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressed against you, and you say, Who touched me? So he was looking around to see who had done this. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came with fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be free from your affliction. I'm going to pray a prayer that was prayed this morning at an 8 o'clock service, so please join with me. Almighty and everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we to pray and constantly give more than either we desire or deserve. Pour down on us the abundance of your mercy, forgiving us those things of which our conscience is afraid and giving us those good things which we are not worthy to ask except through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. I, uh, I love embarrassing stories. Uh, one of my favorites happened to a friend's uh, teacher where she went to the snow. She got to the top of the, of the mountain, as it were, ski field, and uh, she realized when she got to the top, she needed to go to the bathroom. And so what she did was she went, you know, by some trees and sort of crouched down, but didn't realize that her skis started to slip. And she went down the mountain, butt out, screaming. Anyway, uh, that night, uh, she went to the pub and sat, sat next to a guy. And uh, he'd broken his arm. She said, oh, how'd you do that? He goes, you never guess what. I was on the ski lift going up, and this woman butt out, screaming down the hill. Anyway, I laughed so hard, I fell off and broke my arm. She said, oh, that was me. Anyway, they're now married with a couple of kids. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there are some, that's an embarrassing stories, right? But there are some stories that are never told. Uh, stories that trickle into shame. Stories where we don't laugh side by side, but we laugh at. But we don't associate ourselves, but we, we distance ourselves from. Shame is where something bad defines you. Either you've done something bad or something bad has happened to you outside of your control. And it becomes part of who you are, and you're reminded of it by yourself, by your family, by a community. 
and it leads you feeling alone and an outcast, unwanted. In the historical account of Mark's gospel, we meet a woman who is defined by shame. We don't know her name, but we know her pain and her affliction. We get, we introdu- she's introduced in, in verses 24 onwards. And there's a couple of things we know about her. She's been suffering from bleeding. This is a vaginal bleeding for 12 years. That is a long time, 12 years, which means that she couldn't have children. And she felt the sting of that. But more so, she also would have been labelled as, as dirty, as polluted in this culture. As someone you don't want to touch, don't want to become, go near. We also know that she goes to get help from doctors, people she thought she could trust, but they let her down. Some of you know what that's like, where you go to people who you think, they're going to they're help me. Maybe a professional, maybe a family member, and then they make the pain worse. And the other thing we notice about this woman is she has spent all her money desperate to end the pain, desperate to end the shame, but she's ended up broke. And the situation is bleak. This is not a story you share. This is a story of shame. And my question is, why is she here? Why is she here with a large crowd in the public arena? Why is she here? I presume she spends most days at home, afraid to step outside her door. So why is she here? Verse 27 says, she heard about Jesus. What she heard, we're not sure. But she heard, maybe, maybe this guy can do something. And then she, she came up behind him in the crowd. See, shame influences the way you, you act, you carry yourself. She didn't think, I'm not worthy to go face to face. No, no, I need to come up behind him in order to touch his clothes. Because she thought... Verse 28, if I can touch his clothes, I'll be made well. The desperation of this woman, trying to squeeze through this crowd, trying not to be noticed, head down, pushing her way through, pushing her way through just to get the touch of his cloak. And in an instant, she's healed. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was cured of her affliction in a moment. One of the things I love about this modern age is YouTube. and Because uh, YouTube, you get to see videos that you would not necessarily see otherwise. You know, cats playing piano, uh, what Mentos and Diet Coke can do and that kind of thing. But uh, one video I saw is of a woman who's probably in her early 20s and she'd been deaf all her life. And she received a cochlear implant. And they turned it on for the first time. And she could hear and she heard her mother's voice And the smile went from ear to ear. Something that was so normal in an instant becomes foreign. But this woman is not the only person to realize that something has changed. Because Jesus, in verse 30, realizes that in himself, power had gone out from him. And he turned around the crowd and said, who touched my robes? Now his disciples, his followers, are confused by this question. They're like, uh, there's a large crowd, Jesus, around you. Everyone is touching. You know, we're all pressed in here. And you ask, who touched you? It's like going to the ocean and say, hey, why am I wet? You know, it's a bit of an odd question. But, verse 33, Jesus was looking around to see who had 
done this. Why is he doing that? Does, does he want to bring more shame and embarrassment on this woman's life? Does he want to, does he want to mock her? Does he want to keep her accountable? What, what's he doing there? Will he be another doctor in this woman's life? And verse 33, the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came with fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. See, this woman had heard something about Jesus, but maybe not enough. And she was terrified. As she's at the feet of Jesus telling her story, what do you think she's expecting Jesus to say next? Something along the lines of, what right Woman, do you have to touch me? How dare you, dirty, defiled, come near me? What, everybody, who does this woman think she is? Do you know what he says? Daughter. Daughter. There are only two people in this world who I get to call daughter, Audrey and Grace. And I love them. They're cute, they drool, and that kind of thing. But they're mine. But here is this woman with all her baggage, with all her shame, with all her suffering, and he calls her daughter. A woman who was an outcast, he includes. A woman who is rejected, he welcomes. A woman who is dirty, he calls daughter. We don't know her name, but yet she is given one of the most precious words ever, daughter. And then Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Jesus is saying, you trusted in me. Now, when you think about her, her faith, I feel like it's almost a superstitious kind of faith, you know, touch, touch cloak, touch wood kind of thing. But we see here, it's not the amount of faith or the genuineness of your faith, but who your faith is in that matters. And Jesus says, go in peace and be freed, free from your affliction. Rest easy, do not worry, don't be afraid. Now, this woman's healed, but uh, she's still bankrupt. She still has the pain from those doctors. She's still probably ostracized from her community. But you know what the difference is? She not only left healed, but knowing that a healer loved her. Friends, I find immense comfort from this passage. I don't know your story, but I presume that many of us in this room are feeling a similar type of suffering of shame to this woman, where you feel like the outcast, the failure, the letdown, that you feel unlovable, unworthy, that you're the sick one, you're the disabled one, you're the ugly one. You have different wounds, but they're still wounds. And shame says again and again to you that you are unacceptable, that somehow you are a mistake. And I don't know what you do with that shame, what you do with that disgrace. Maybe you, maybe you try and suppress it through eating or, 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 food, or, or porn or, or Netflix or shopping or drugs or alcohol. I don't know what you do to try and suppress it. Or maybe you just focus on other achievements, your work, the stuff you have, your religion your relationships, or maybe just hide it under a smile or a joke. This encounter with this woman has three things to say to us today. The first is this. Jesus associates with you. 
that the way Jesus treated this woman is the way Jesus will treat you. That the God of the universe actually wants to be with you. Now, there are people in your world who are either obligated to be with you or are with you because they want to get something out of you, right? But you know why Jesus wants to be with you? Because he wants to be with you. This woman had nothing to offer. She didn't deserve Jesus' love in the slightest, and yet Jesus wanted to be with her. Uh, last time I preached a sermon, uh, I was having a conversation with a guy uh, who shared with me that uh, when he was a boy, that he was sexually abused. And, uh, and growing up, he felt worthless his entire life. He felt worthless to other people, and he felt worthless to God. And, and he struck a deal with God and said, God, I don't know what you think about me. And so he grabbed the Bible and he locked himself in a room and says, I'm going to read this until you give me an answer. I'm not leaving this room. He began at Mark chapter 1. And by the time he read Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, and this encounter with a woman, he said, if Jesus would want to be with a woman like that, then he would want to be with someone like me. The second thing we see is that Jesus comes to remove your shame. Jesus became shame in order to take yours away. That Jesus, who is God, who is perfect, who is holy, who is righteous, comes down. He leaves heaven for a dirty food trough to be born in. He leaves the company of angels for the company of outcasts, tax collectors, prostitutes. He leaves a place where he's worshipped on high to a place where he's humiliated, he is mocked, he is teased, and he is stripped naked and put on a cross. Jesus uh, not only wants to be with you, but he knows what it's like to be you. But more than that, at that cross, there Jesus becomes unworthy so that you could become worthy. He becomes defiled so that you could become clean. He becomes repulsive so that you can become loved. He becomes rejected so that you can be welcomed. And so when Jesus looks at you, he can honestly say, you are my son. You are my daughter. When I get home each day from work, I give my eldest a big hug, Audrey, and I hug her, and she's perfect. I know she's not, right? But Jesus comes and he embraces us, and you know what? He makes us perfect through his death on that cross. The third thing is that Jesus asks you to trust him. Often when we experience shame, the reason is because uh, people have hurt us. People have let us down. And we ask the question of God, will, will he let us down too? But just like this woman, we need to come to Jesus' feet, as it were, and tell our story to confess what has happened, what's been done. Now you might be thinking, oh James, I don't know if I have enough faith. I don't know if I can really trust Jesus. But the beautiful thing about faith is it comes with empty hands where you receive everything and give nothing in return. 
I'm going to end by telling you two stories. Two stories of what this looks like to ground it for you. The first, uh, two people I've met over the years and I've changed their names. Uh, The first guy is a guy called John. Now John uh, was at an early age rejected by his his parents. Uh, He was kicked out. And uh, he always felt unlovable. He always uh, really wrestled with uh, being wanted and that kind of thing. And by the time I met John, I was in late teens. And uh, I had many conversations with John about Jesus. Uh, and there was one conversation in particular that struck out, uh, that, that stuck out to me. He said, James, if I don't love myself, why would God love me? I don't know if you've asked that question. If I don't love myself, why would God love me? And I said, John... The problem is you think you need to change in order for God to love you. And that's not Christianity. That God loves you as you are, where you are at. Because Jesus didn't say to the woman in Mark 5, clean up your act, chin up, go to church more, smile a bit more, then I love you, then I'll call you my daughter. What did this woman have to offer? What did she do? Nothing. And that's the point. Trusting in Jesus means, despite me not loving myself, God does. And can I encourage you to, wherever you're you're at, to come to Jesus. You might be, no one may know your story. But have the confidence that Jesus will say to you, I knew that before you even spoke. And yes, I still love you. The other stories of a woman I met called Rhonda. And uh, she grew up with uh, three sisters. And she always felt growing up that uh, she was the least favorite. And one day she asked her dad, Dad, why, why do you like my sisters more than me? And you know what he said? It's because you're not as pretty as them. True story. She never recovered from that. It affected her work, it affected her relationships, it affected her general self-esteem. Uh, later on in life, uh, she met Jesus. Uh, in, in, uh, God, sorry, in the Gospel of Matthew, she met Jesus and she was amazed that, that Jesus loved her enough to die for her. And this is what she said. I wrote it down. She said, I am a nobody, but because of Jesus, he makes me a somebody. I have always felt unlovable, but now I know I am loved. And nothing can change that. Uh, I'm not sure why this sermon was preached today in in God's timing. Um, But I know that God does make mistakes. That he is sovereign, he is in control. And you may be carrying shame and no one knows about it. You've hidden it very well. But can I encourage you, bring it to Jesus. Come to him. Tell him because he wants to know and he will embrace you. He will love you where you're at. And he will call you his daughter, his son. Remove the shame and give you a freedom that you did not think possible. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the God who is not distant, not up there, but you are down here, that you walked among us, that you experienced shame, shame 
beyond our imagination, Lord. And you ask us to come to you with our baggage, with our burdens, with the things that worry us, Lord. And and we ask, I ask that individually, Lord, that we would each come to you knowing you are the God who loves us where we are at. Amen.